on Hollis Ave at the dark When I seen a man chilling with his dog at the park I approached him very slowly with my heart full of fear Looked at his dog, oh my god, a ill reindeer Hey, frequency talk, huh? Welcome to the party, pal <laughs> I like it <laughs> okay, That's I'm it. starting right now right there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go straight from that to <laughs> Welcome back everybody to Take Me to You, a reader Discussing adapted science fiction at its best and worst I'm Seth I'm James And I'm Colin And is that what we're doing this time, guys? Are we discussing adapted science fiction? Oh, most definitely You know, I'm going to be releasing this on Christmas Day And last year for Christmas we did a very traditional Christmas title We did A Christmas Carol And it was pretty involved reading the book and watching a bazillion movies And talking about all that This year we're going a little smaller scale A modern Christmas classic Which we'll have to decide if it is a Christmas classic And that is Die Hard And there's probably people out there right now saying Okay, first of all, yeah, it's not science fiction And second, it's not even adapted, what are you doing? (laughs) Well, I will correct you on one point It is adapted, in fact Die Hard was adapted from a book called Nothing Lasts Forever by Roderick Thorpe So, we've got that checkbox checked already What we need to decide here Is it science fiction? And is it a Christmas movie? So, Do you want to go science fiction first or Christmas first? I think that it's easier to prove that it is a Christmas movie. Okay, go. It has Christmas presents. It's set at Christmas time. And on Christmas Day, uh, John gets a big present. And it has Christmas music. And it has Christmas music. This is Christmas music, man. (laughs) As further evidence, I will present. Now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. Oh yes, and it also has "Ode the Joy," which is awesome. That yeah. is sweet, actually. And we do we we should talk about the score. But so, a counter argument is this movie came out in July, which it really? makes you wonder why it was set at Christmas. At least it premiered in July. I don't know huh. what time most people saw it. Yeah. So because to me, a Christmas movie should come out at Christmas time. Right. Oh. Kind of like a Halloween movie should come out. Oh wait, Victor Frankenstein. Boo. That wasn't a Halloween movie. No, it was a Thanksgiving movie. Yeah, Thanksgiving. Yeah. Thanks that it's over. <laughs> yeah. But is that true? Have all the Christmas Carol adaptations all come out in November and December time frame? I have not done that research, but I would imagine so. I would bet right. most of them have too. Yeah. However, if you look on the internet, the internet does categorically state that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. There you and go. so I think at least by popular acclaim, Die Hard is a Christmas movie. I think it's on plenty of people's Christmas list, Christmas watch list. People I've talked to as well. Yeah, yeah. There's a BuzzFeed article that I'm going to have to uh, <laughs> have to link that's like, you know, stop calling Die Hard your favorite Christmas movie. It's not funny anymore. Even if it really is. Um, but, but th- I think is. their point is that it was, it was a, a funny thing to say when not everybody was saying it. And now that right. everybody is. Yeah, they all ruined it for me. Well, how about on to the next question? Is it science fiction? It does have some sciencey stuff in it. Like the the lo- the safe is pretty cool with like the seven different locks and all that jazz. There is a miracle, right? There's a Christmas miracle. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You ask for miracles, I give you the FBI. <laughs> I was I was telling uh Colin that there was uh Screen Junkies did um I think they maybe have done this more than once, but I know they at least did it for Die Hard called Honest Action, where mm-hmm. they consulted an actual doctor about the injuries sustained by John McClane and Die Hard yeah. and tried to figure out how many lives it would take him to get through the movie. And they came up with, I believe, four. So in that sense... So that's where I think the science fiction comes yeah. in. Because he's like an alien posing as human or something. <laughs> 
Well, so where do we want to start with this? We, we should probably talk about the book. Right. So, like I said, the book is Nothing Lasts Forever. Wow, I just totally blanked on the title. Apparently um, it which, doesn't last forever in your brain either. <laughs> <laughs> true. It reminds me of uh, one of my favorite tattoo fails, like where you see pictures of oh, people yeah. who've got tattoos with misspellings and stuff. Right. And uh-huh. I saw somebody who had one that it said nothing lasts forever. And there was an apostrophe on the lasts. <laughs> and so the caption was nothing lasts forever except misplaced apostrophes. As I said, it's by Roderick Thorpe. It was written in 1979 or published in 1979. It's actually the sequel to a book called the detective. And right. so I thought, first of all, I searched in our library catalog and there was Uno copy of nothing lasts forever. And so I thought, well, I better get this now. And I read it in like late October yeah. Um, because because I knew we were going to have to pass it along. Mm-hmm. I also searched to see if they had the detective. Well, they did not have the book, but they did have the film adaptation the film, of yeah. it starring Frank Sinatra. Yep. Um, and I was telling Colin, it, it literally has one of those scenes where he's driving along in his sedan DeVille or whatever. I, I guess that's not a cop car, is it? Standard issue. Uh, Crown Victoria. All oh, right. The Crown Vic from uh, from Chuck. Yeah. I don't know if they had Crown Vic back in the 60s, though. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but he's he's driving along with it, and he begins to remember an earlier part of his light, life, and it literally does a... <laughs> and it has the whole flashback. It was so rad. I can't say that I recommend it. One of the unfortunate things, though, is Wait, that... you watched the movie? I watched the movie, yeah. I watched it on VLC video player on one and a half speed, um, <laughs> which probably did not enhance its quality, I have to say. Nice. <laughs> it, it was very of its time. Um, but... The interesting thing is with Nothing Lasts Forever, it is clearly a sequel because it makes reference to events that you don't know anything about. And so I think I told you guys, hey, in the the movie, there's this case about this guy who did something. So I guess I would have to recommend people start with the detective, but... It was kind of weird reading the book uh, without reading the sequel first, or the the prequel, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Because you get a lot of references to older stuff and uh, older cases that he's been on and all that. Yeah, uh, which I guess weren't weren't really vital to reading the book, but right. That's what I wanted to, yeah. to suss out from you guys. How how vital did you feel that was? It was kind of distracting. Yeah, it was a, it was a little distracting. And yeah, yeah, I had to sit and figure out was have I was I supposed to know this because it happened before in this book, or is that referring to something else? Right. Or is it just where he's bringing in life experience to help broaden the narrative and stuff? Yeah. Right. So, James, you, you said you had a, a difficult time with the book for a particular reason that I thought was interesting. <laughs> so I've seen the movie so many times, I practically had the thing memorized. So reading the book was difficult at first because I hold the movie as canon to the oh, experience I have with it and kind of its order in, me, in my experience to it. Mm-hmm. And so every time I'm trying to read the book, I'm like, this isn't right. This yeah. didn't happen. <laughs> Wait, John McClane's way better. Mm-hmm. But... I don't know. Leland gets better throughout the book, but and then well, and then I realized the the differences between the two are interesting, and the terrorists and the similarities are the similarities that are there and that were adapted into movie are good, but and I guess we'll get into that later. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I think part of the problem there probably is that it's a pretty faithful adaptation, and so it hits it hits a yeah. lot of the same beats. The broad story is pretty much the same. Right. Some of the events are different, but. But so having it be so similar, we've talked about this before, like when when I was watching the Ender's Game movie, mm-hmm. there's certain places where they're they're hitting exact lines from the book. And I've read that book and listened to the audiobook enough that right. I know a lot of the lines from it. And so they'd start a, a kind of a, a section of 
dialogue with exact wording from the book and then mm-hmm. they'd stray from it and I found that really distracting yeah. because my brain would be filling in where the scene should go. Right. It, I felt like it took me forever to get through the first third of the book mm-hmm. and then I read the last two thirds of the book in like four hours. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's 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 pretty fast paced once. Yeah, it's a, it's a quick read once you actually get into it. It just yeah. takes a while to get into it. Colin, what do you think of the book? I didn't have as many problems as James reading it, <laughs> but I had a hard time reconciling John McClane versus Leland with the character from the book. <laughs> and uh, that, that brings up one of my hot buttons, right? Where uh, in adaptive fiction, I, me personally, I want people to think of the book as the story and compare it to the movie to say how well it was done. Right. right. But, you know, given the, uh, was it 11 or 11 or 12 year time span between the two and how much more massively popular the movie is in the book it's i think it's almost the, the exact opposite case yeah well i mean like james is saying having seen it so many times right it becomes the true story and and we've talked about this with other things that we've where we, where we experienced it first as a film then i think it's interesting to look back and see and and go oh interesting that they made this decision and that maybe i like it better what they did in the in the movie mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. like you were saying colin before we started recording was it's it's a good example of of an adaptation that I like, you know, where they did make changes and the changes that they made made sense. Yeah, and, they were and, very and, appropriate. Yeah, and probably made it into what would be a more popular film. Where if they had gone definitely with a straight faithful adaptation, it would have been it would have had a different tone to it. They would have had to had I think they would have had to had the detective if they well I guess they did have the detective, but they would have had to have that been a direct tie in to the second movie if they were going to try and go with all the extra stuff that was in the book well and sinatra wasn't he the first run actor first preferred actor for the the, for die he wasn't the first preferred he was first approached due to contract but he was like in his 70s or something when oh that would have been they approached him yeah it, it could have made a very different film right and we've seen films like that with with aging detectives like for instance the recent Die Hard movies, but um, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, I don't know if Sinatra could have pulled that one off though. Yeah, and it would well, it would definitely would have been wouldn't have been the uh, action classic movie that it is now. No, I, and I will say that if you look at the detective, the movie, um, it's it's a very movie of its time, and I'm trying to think when when that one was made because if the book was came out in 1979, did I say that correctly? Nothing Lasts Forever came out in 1979. Yeah, The Detective, I think, was like 63 or... 1968 was when the the film came out. And it looks like a movie from 1968. But where where Die Hard, made in 1988, is very much a 1988 movie. Right. Yes. And and they don't make them like they used to. I'd be curious if, inevitably, they're going to reboot this. You know, Bruce Willis (laughs) is getting too old to make further Die Hard movies. And based on what I saw of Die Hard 5, he should not make any more of them. Oh, boy. Um, and we, we should talk about that towards the end, you know, the, the series as a whole for those of us who have seen them. But they'll they'll reboot it. They'll make it PG-13. No. It'll probably suck. On the other hand, Die Hard 4, well, we'll get back to that. So at this point, maybe, you know, we haven't spoiled much of the book other than it's a lot like the movie. There right. are significant differences. And if we want to talk about those, maybe we should first tell people if we think the book is worth reading they might want to, you know, stop and go back. Because we didn't warn anybody about this one. This is a surprise for Christmas. Right. So what do you think, Colin? Worth reading? I still think it's worth reading. You should do it once in your life. 
Um, unless it's Frankenstein, in which case, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, if uh, Die Hard is much more popular than Frankenstein, and it's it's a it's fairly faithful in some areas, mm-hmm. and it wasn't a horrible read. And if so, you, know, you got to spare three or four hours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Unlike you know, reading Frankenstein, which will take you know many days <laughs> with a dictionary. You just you just keep kicking and kicking a reanimated corpse while he's down. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> what do you think, James? You agree with Colin? Yeah, I agree with Colin. Uh, this uh, this one actually made me kind of want to read the detective just to read the two together, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, you know, I like detective fiction. I don't read a lot of it, um, but like yeah, I've been wanting to too. go back and read like Raymond Chandler and Dashiell right. Hammett and that kind of stuff, some classic stuff. I haven't read a whole lot of detective fiction, mostly just yeah. Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> oh well, hey, you know, if you're gonna start someplace, that's a good place, right? I, think, yeah. I would I would argue it's the place to start. I think I would have to agree with you. But yeah, I would recommend it. It was it was decent, uh, decent, some decent detective fiction. So. Yeah. Okay. So I guess what we're saying here is, uh, we're going to go over some of the things that are different um, as we talk about the movie. I think. Okay. Yep. Right. Because I think if nothing else, yep. it's it's good, like you said, Colin, to to look at this as a study in adaptation because because there are decisions that they made and maybe we can psychoanalyze some of them and and say you know what we thought of those changes. Sure. Definitely. Worth mentioning. This is directed by John McTiernan director of the also notable Rollerball remake, another fantastic movie. No, but also... <laughs> Predator. Yes. The Hunt for Red October. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah, he's directed some good films and Rollerball. No! And, uh, so close. Yes. Yeah. Well, so I did want to talk about the score. I, I really did like the fact, like you said, uh, yeah. James, that, that they used Ode to Joy in there in yeah, several awesome. places. <laughs> and it, it's very Christmas-sounding. Yes, it is. Um, and and the way they work in some like jingle bell beats, yeah, actually along with some of the other music, right. I thought was really cool. And, and of course, that, the Christmas rap music. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty awesome. This is Christmas yeah, music, no. man. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> Cracks me up. Argyle, we're talking about the movie now. Yeah, right. Everybody yes. knows the story. It's the same story. Guy gets stuck in an office building at a Christmas party, and terrorists or other people, armed gunmen, suppose the, the terrorists. Yeah. Storing the building with our ulterior motives. Yes, and uh, which I think is a brilliant plot idea. I like. I like right. it. it. It was interesting though that in the book it was a lot more justified than in the movie. Well, in yeah, the book, I suppose so. It, they were definitely terrorists. They were definitely terrorists, but they had a point too because the, the corporation was pretty awful. Yeah. Yes. Where, whereas in in the movie you have Alan Rickman giving that speech about the legacy of greed of the Nakatomi Corporation, you know, right. and you're like, okay, that's standard terrorist claptrap. Yeah. Um, and he's establishing himself as a terrorist, not as a thief, right? Right. Because they want yes. the police to respond to a terrorist. It's more of incident. an illusion show in the, in the movie. Yeah. More so than in the book. Yeah. I guess in the well, book it really wasn't uh, the, that kind of bait and switch. Yeah. They were actually terrorizing the corporation. They didn't plan on keeping the money. They're, well, supposedly. Right. They were going to throw yeah. it out the window. Right? Mm-hmm. Which ended up happening in the movie, too. Yeah. Except for there were blank sheets of white paper. <laughs> Shut up. You did not notice that? I didn't really look closely. Now you've ruined my illusions, James. (laughs) I thought the font was too small to read. Nice. Yeah. I think there were a couple, I guess we'll get into this now or later, differences and all that. Yeah, go. Okay, I'm going to lead off with John McClane, obvious, um, and Leland. At at first, I wasn't too impressed with Leland as a character, but then as uh, I also didn't have the first book to introduce him. Right. (laughs) 
but as he got as we um experienced him more especially in the in the building all his fighting and stuff like that mm-hmm. to me he seemed a older than john McClane, but also more skilled and experienced yeah. like he seemed like a much more skilled fighter right and more strategic then and then you have john McClane. he's younger more of a kind of a bully kind of street fighter i guess yeah, mm-hmm. he he was a lot less refined and a little more by the seat right. of his pants. Yeah, there you go. a lot less refined. Um, yeah. So there was. I don't know if it would have been a better movie or not to have Leland in there. Probably not. Well, I think I think one of the key differences is um, you get a lot of internal monologue from Leland in the book. Right. Yeah. Where John McClane talks to himself. Yeah. And I, I and <laughs> which I thought was really so cool. Great. Yeah. <laughs> and and let's talk about Bruce Willis, right? I mean, I remember seeing the trailer for the movie and I'm like, oh, it's that doofus from Moonlighting. <laughs> um, which, in my defense, I had never right. actually seen the show. I just had the impression that he was an idiot. Oh, okay. Um, it was awesome. Yeah, but but he's such a good everyman. You know, everybody can yeah. go go. Okay, okay, that right. guy's not that much buffer than I am. Or yeah, he didn't do anything special. He didn't look particularly buff in the movie. I mean, he didn't you know bust out karate kicks or something. Right. He was just a normal guy taking out these terrorists. It kind of it yeah. made him very relatable. Oh, when John talks to himself, that's a direct callback to the book. Leland talks about in in one of the one of the mid to late chapters about how he would, he would talk right. to himself mm. and it was a way of focusing and centering himself and getting ready to yeah. do stuff. And it works well in the movie because now we do get a little bit of his internal dialogue, yeah. you know, what he's feeling, what he's thinking at the time. So I like that particular part of it. Me too. Yeah. I think it did a good job of letting you know what he's thinking, uh, mm-hmm. which is to me always seems like a hard thing to do when you're adapting uh, a book because the book you're reading what they're thinking. Yeah. It's hard it's hard in a movie to see what the person what the guy is thinking. Yeah, I we'll talk about this in I'm sure future adaptations where there there are books where they're really really in somebody's head. Mm-hmm. Um and and it's hard to pull off sometimes where 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 you go with like you hear the voice in his head of the person thinking and right. sometimes that really does not work. No, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm having to rely on you guys about, you know, some of the differences between the book and the movie since I read it. I I sure. I was looking it up. I finished it on the 18th of October. Ah, so yes. <laughs> we're we're two months down the road for me on this one. I did write down a couple things. I was going to go with uh, Anton Gruber next, who's Hans Gruber in the movie. But yeah, he also too seemed more um, more strategic thinking and more slick actually in the book. Yeah, like he didn't buy it when when the, there's the common incident between the book and the movie where he writes the now I have a machine gun right. thing, but he says yes. now we have a machine gun, right? But then he he turns it right back on him with a comment that he made that Leland consumes and doesn't. I don't think he realizes it at at, at first. It takes hmm. him a while to realize. Ah, dang! He saw right through me. He was talking in particular. So when Anton saw that, I think he suspected that Leland was listening in or watching them somehow. And right. he baited him with that comment of you know there was a they found missing shoes. And so they think there's a guy running around, but they also found the missing like dress or blouse or something like yeah, that, yeah. leading to that now letting Leland think that they think there's a man and a woman and possibly right. others missing as well. And yeah. he, and then they mentioned, I think Leland mentioned it later on in the in one of the radio conversations, and he gave himself away. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty slick too. But then again, uh, you know, Alan Rickman has nice suits, so he's pretty slick, too. <laughs> Alan Rickman, I mean, he, he was a revelation. Like, Alan I think Rickman this, was awesome. <laughs> I think that was the first movie that I saw Alan Rickman in. That's the first Alan Rickman movie. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, because yeah. that 
it's like the first movie I remember, other than like Darth Vader, where I'm like, okay, that is an awesome bad guy. Yeah, yeah, he's pretty cool. Where, where I'm not, the bad not guy trying to diminish Alan Rickman's, or I'm not trying to diminish Hans Gruber. I'm just no, no, no. I know. Yeah, it, it was a different, uh, different character. Equally, both equally awesome. Bad axe. <laughs> <laughs> Reference to our previous show. <laughs> yes. I thought it was interesting in terms of identifying with uh, John McClane character versus Leland. In the book, Leland has that first confrontation with um, whatever the name, the brother of, was it Carl? Where in, in the movie, he gets him like into a headlock and he knows, okay, I can break this guy's neck by doing this particular thing, but I've never actually done it. Right. And, and he kind of thinks about it before doing it. And it, and it, to me, it was very, I don't know. It, it seemed kind of grotesque a little bit. And and I think it was supposed to because he was repulsed by it too. Because right. I think he retched afterwards. He retched afterwards, yeah. But I, I prefer the way the movie does it where, um, you know, it's just a balls out fight. They end up falling down the yeah, stairs yeah. and the brother gets his neck broken. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think with the different characters, it could have been a completely different movie. Yeah. Of course, good one-liners in the movie. You know, the, you know there are rules to being a policeman. Yeah, that's what my captain keeps telling me. there are rules to being a podcaster i guess it's important to note that leland wasn't a policeman either true yeah yeah and that okay so let's talk about some some of the um kind of foundational differences right that in the movie it it very quickly establishes that john mcclain is a cop he's estranged from his wife because he kind of didn't believe in her Mm -hmm. right and so there's there's a a redemption arc for him like some things that colin likes um where in the book, it's his daughter, is it not? Yes, it's his daughter. Yeah, he's he's also estranged from his wife. They separated um, because they were distant from one another. Yeah. Uh, Joe Leland always preferred his work over his family. And so his wife left him. And then he fell in love with Norma. And Norma started smoking pot and saying, you know, I don't want to wake up someday and wondering if you're going to come home because I know I'll always be second to your job. So yep. she left him and got married. And so he's out there trying to build some kind of a relationship with his daughter and grandchildren. Well, the book also has a, a subplot that was well discarded with the uh, stewardess. Right. The flight attendant, right? Yeah. I felt like there was kind of a hint to that in the beginning of the movie, though. With uh, John McClane, he's walking off the plane, seeing the stewardess. The stewardess is like looking at him with those doomy eyes. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, I, I do like in the movie, you know, the... California. <laughs> um, when, when he gets to the party and the dude comes up and kisses him, you know, it, the look on his face, I was like, that that looked unscripted to me. I didn't get to watch a commentary or anything, but the look on his face, like he almost broke character. <laughs> and he's like, effing California. <laughs> and it gets better. Yeah. Then he goes into his wife's office and finds some right. guy snorting coke on his wife's right. desk. Which is a little strange. It's a little strange that Ellis was in uh, Holly's office snorting Coke when she, I think, earlier said something about, I envy him, or I've got my eyes on his private bathroom. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Like, what what are you doing? You've got a private bathroom. Uh, so another, to me, another um, bonus of the, of the movie was the character of Argyle, who, of course, did not exist in the right. book. Well, he did have the black cab, cab driver in uh, St. Louis. Yeah, but he didn't stay with it's him. Right? No, no. Where I thought, I thought he added a good, another set of eyes, another perspective to see things from, because mm-hmm. he's trapped down in the parking garage and seeing some of the stuff unfolding. 
Right. Um, and I like the fact that he's down there jamming out in his car and totally <laughs> is completely oblivious until <laughs> right. until he like s- turns on the TV in the in the limo yeah. <laughs> and the CB. You know, one interesting thing about him and some of the other characters is that Bruce Willis was shooting moonlighting at the same time this movie was filming. Right. So hmm. he would work on moonlighting during the day, and then he would go to the Fox 12 movie tower where the movie was shot and work on um, Die Hard at night. And so he was exhausted. In order to give him a break, they actually wrote more story for some of the other characters. Yeah. And I think that's where Argyle comes in and gets a little beefed up. I think that's where Al comes in and gets a little beefed up. Um, that that was a plus. Yeah. The, the fact that Al Powell's... Uh, role was expanded in in the movie, you know, together with a redemption arc, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, isn't that what you were saying earlier, Colin? Yeah. So, you know, I, I love a good redemption story. I want to see the good yeah. guy win in the end. I want to see him get reunited with his wife. So, Al, Al Powell was a police officer on a beat because he had been a detective and he shot a kid with a plastic gun. So, he was on patrol then. He, you know, stopped, yeah, stopped by to get some Twinkies and then ends up at the Nakatomi Tower. Yeah. I thought you guys just ate donuts. <laughs> from my wife. Yeah. yeah. She's pregnant. Yeah. yeah. And she was. <laughs> um, and then in order to get his attention, John McClane shoves a dead body out the window and it lands yeah. on top of his car. He ends up backing that up for awesome. what seems like hundreds of yards into a construction zone. <laughs> yeah. Who's driving this guy's car? Stevie Wonder? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in the end, though, uh, he, he ends up saving John McClane's life. Right. Right. Yeah, and so it has that additional redemption arc in it. Yep. Right. You have you have the the marriage kind of reconciling, you have Al Powell with with his redemption from from not being able to draw his weapon again. Yeah. And then then having right. to draw it to save his friend's life. I thought it was great. And such good chemistry too um between Oh yeah. Bruce Willis totally. and uh Family Matters. Right. I can't remember his name. <laughs> Reginald Bell Johnson. Yes. A great actor. And think about how difficult it is to have chemistry only across airwaves. Yeah. I mean, even on our Skype call today, we all have video up so we can see what each other's doing. James, stop picking your nose. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, for that banter to work so well, they must have, you know, practiced it a lot and been, you know, pretty gifted what they do. I think one of the things that helped is is the at least in the movie, I, I don't recall if in the book if the deputy chief of police is as much of a Dweeb. He was. Oh, he was. He was. He was a total completely jerk. useless. I love that that thing where um, Powell confronts him and he's like, you, you think he's going to, you know, if he lives through this, if right. he's going to care what you do to him, you better step back and smell what you shovel in or <laughs> something right. like that. Such a great line delivery. I'm, I think I'm going to put that, that line in here because I can't deliver it like he can. Are you going to stand there and tell me that he's going to give a damn about what you do to him if he makes it out of there alive? Why don't you wake up and smell what you're shoveling? And and uh, my other favorite line of his, and maybe I'll put that one in here and bleep it. That the uh... is the building on fire? No, but it's gonna need a paint job and a load of screen doors. <laughs> <laughs> so I liked the elevator explosion. You know, that's also straight out of the book. Right. Yeah. It was interesting because when when I read the book, I don't remember if it was with the C4 or if it was in some other point that he says Geronimo Mofo in the book. And I'm like, oh, it's supposed to be yippee Kaye. What are you doing? And then I watched the movie and I'm like, oh, he did both. <laughs> yep. uh, another big difference was the makeup of the terrorists, the people that invade the building. In, uh, in the movie, they are all uh, European types, right? And they're all guys. In they're not the all book, European types. Uh, yeah, the, the black guy who is supposed to crack open the safe. And they, and they, had, a, they had a little Asian dude down there. Right. The, the Asian guy that was in all the 80s movies. 
Yes. Yes. And I guess the guy behind the front desk, the right. security desk with the text right. discount Huey right. Lewis. But yes, but in the <laughs> in the book, it was a mixture of young people who were all really were terrorists and a mixture of right. men and women. Mm-hmm. And for Leland, this was an issue. He was not okay with trying to kill a woman right. uh, until they tried to kill him first and then he had to kill them back. Right. I think there there is one particular spoiler about the book that we should and it's a difference from the book that we should maybe not spoil. We can leave that open. All right, so let let's let's talk about some of the lines though. Um so Ellis a, played by Hart Bachner, um, who was tremendous in War and Remembrance. I loved him in that. Um, but he, he's such a weasel. Um, you know, that, <laughs> show him the watch. That's yes. you know, a Rolex. Um, and, and I love that. Ah, oh, yeah. it's booby. Sprechen Sie talk, huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So this, this drug-addicted cokehead, that was fantastic. he's determined that he's tired of waiting for these guys to do anything. And he knows mm-hmm. who's loose in the building. Right. You know, right. he knows it's Joe Leland in one case, and he knows it's uh, John McClane in the other. So uh, he decides to go and talk to Hans. And in both cases, you know, Joe and John realize that he has made himself valuable to these guys in a way that he can't possibly be, because he's not going to turn himself over um, to save right. Ellis's life. It would jeopardize his wife and his daughter to do that. And so yep. you know, Ellis gets plugged. And I was happy to see it. Yeah, he totally had it coming. Yeah, yeah. he was kind of a douche. Yeah, I love that when when he's coming in and he's giving his his opening pitch, and and Hans just kind of looks at him and like you're amazing. You figured this all out yourself. <laughs> just completely patronizing him, and it totally sails over him. Yes, what a great way of leading somebody on and allowing them just to give him you know more and more rope. Yeah, you you really are completely stoned or idiotic or both. Wow, what more can you give me? I like the uh, I'm Agent Johnson. This is Special Agent Johnson. No, no relation. relation. <laughs> Interestingly, they, they don't have names in the credits. They are credit, uh, credited as Big Johnson and Little Johnson. Big Johnson, <laughs> so, Little Johnson. Yeah. So I guess we know who had a better agent. Yes. <laughs> so to tell you how detail-oriented I am, uh-huh. I noticed that in the book, Leland crawls through the air ducts backward, <laughs> and John McClane crawls through forward. Right. And I don't right. think it's for a better camera angle. <laughs> right i w- one thing i wanted to comment yeah. on is the foley work which is so 80s it's just that when they're they're fighting you know every punch is yeah. it, yeah. you know it just oh it's right. amazing apparently they also used uh extra loud and extra flashy blanks oh yeah to create the hyper realism and then i read that it gave uh bruce willis partial um now, he's partially deaf now, yeah. permanently, because yeah, he, of it. Yeah, he lost like 60% of his hearing in one year. Hmm. Yeah. During, apparently during during the scene where the guy's on the table mm-hmm. shooting at him mm-hmm. with the Uzi, and then he's up, you know, up above, up just below him, shoots him in the yeah. legs, which would totally suck. I'm not sure that would actually kill you at first, but the guy sure looked dead right away. At that angle, it probably uh, went up through his torso as well. Or if you hit the femoral oh, artery, yeah, you're, okay. you're going down pretty quick. But that, that oh, yeah. guy got out an excellent villain monologue before getting capped. Yes, that was pretty good. Oh, how did it go? Next time you have a chance to kill someone, don't hesitate. Thanks for the advice. Apparently, Alan Rickman hadn't fired a gun or didn't like guns. And so you'll notice that whenever he shoots the gun, they cut away from him because he's yeah. wincing as he pulls the trigger. He's oh, flinches. interesting. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Another trivia thing that I saw was um, at the end, when, when he's being dropped against the green screen or whatever, and it's it's a pretty bad kind of rear projection looking thing now when you look at it. Um, uh-huh. He thought he was going to drop like five feet and they dropped him 20 feet. 
And so the look of terror <laughs> on his face is genuine, and he was pissed. <laughs> wow. That's probably written in all of his contracts from that point forward. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> oh, boy, I hope that's not a hostage. It, wasn't it the principal from uh, The Breakfast Club? Yes. Yeah, he yes. specializes yeah, in playing that, totally. that special kind of character. Oh, yeah. Uh, we should probably talk about William Atherton as well. Oh, yeah. Who, who also played every jerk face in every, I mean, like Real Genius and Ghostbusters. He he, he just had one of those faces that you just wanted to meet up with your fist. And punch. <laughs> mm-hmm. Good work if you can get it. Yes. Right. I, I like I like the end that he comes to in Die Hard 2, where he gets tased in the bathroom. Yes, that is oh. pretty cool. <laughs> that was awesome. And it was an interesting plot. Um, you know, the, the whole uh, revelation of who he was, so that Hans could start putting two and two together and realize who he had and who he needed to stop John yeah. toward the end, and, and build toward an endgame. So I just, you know, obviously just rewatched Die Hard. I hadn't watched it in probably, I don't know, 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. And that is still a good movie. What? It is. You, you don't watch you don't watch Die Hard every year for Christmas? No, you know, I What's wrong with you, man? I don't often watch movies that are, you know, wall-to-wall F bombs and It's not wall-to-wall F bombs. Bah. It's it's pretty crowded with them. <laughs> it's not as bad as a lot of a lot of movies nowadays because I mean, I'm I'm willing to uh, allow somebody some some colorful metaphors when they're in a really bad situation. And so I right. didn't feel like in this movie that any of them were really inappropriate. And, you know, yippee guy, that that is still an awesome line. <laughs> you know, uh, you're not the only person who thought it was popular. It's got a great score at Rotten Tomatoes. It's 92% fresh. Nice. Uh, it did really, really well in the box office. Uh, $141 yeah, million the- dollars versus a budget of $28 million. And, nice. little known nice. fact, they went through a metric ton of actors to find John McClane. And Bruce Willis oh, yeah? finally accepted. He made $5 million dollars. For that movie. Hmm. So he was one-sixth of the entire budget. Wow. <laughs> so do you do you have a list of some of the alternates? No, but I can pull it up real quick. Yeah, that, I would be interested to know that. Um, let's. So while you're looking that up, uh, Bonnie Bedelia as Holly McLean was also terrific. Um, I love the part where she comes in and tells, and, and is giving yeah. Hans some marching orders, and he's like, what idiot put you in charge? You did. You did, when you killed my boss. <laughs> Um, yeah, she she is tremendous in this, and uh, she's sorely lacking in some of the sequels. She's in yes. two. She is in two, barely, yeah. and then not really in any of the other ones. Yeah, no, I liked her in two. She, you know, she tased uh, William Atherton, which right. is always good. <laughs> good work if you can get it again. Okay, so we have Mr. Clint Eastwood was supposed to oh, be really. Yeah, he planned to star in the movie in the early eighties, huh. and he owned the film rights himself. I could see Clint Eastwood as uh, Leland if they did. If yeah, I was going to say, I route. wonder if they would have skewed closer to the book. Yeah. He would totally work for that route. Arnold Schwarzenegger was considered to be the movie. Nah, then we'd confuse him with the terrorists. Yes, yes. <laughs> I was I was watching a YouTube from uh, Mental Floss today with John Green, and he was talking about um, trivia or things you didn't you might not know about holiday movies. And one of them was that it's commonly believed that Die Hard was originally envisioned as a sequel to Commando. <laughs> but it's not actually correct. No. Okay. There, there was. Wait, were we a, just talking about that? <laughs> yeah, it might have been. Uh, Michael Madsen, Don Johnson, Richard Dean Anderson, Charles Bronson. We got Richard Richard Gere, Nick Nolte, and Al Pacino. Tom Berenger. Hmm. Tom Berenger is another one I could see like today if they if they actually remade the this and skewed a little closer to the book, he'd make an interesting Leland. Yeah. 
Which kind of makes you wonder. I wonder why they turned it down. It's like Will Smith turned down the Matrix. The Matrix, yeah. <laughs> and you wonder how that would have been different. Whoa. He couldn't have pulled wow. that line off. I mean, who's going to deliver that line like that? Yep. Now, all those names True. that I had mentioned, they all came out of IMDb. And in IMDb, it also says that it was nominated for um, six Oscars, or won six Oscars. And on Wikipedia, it says he was it was wow. nominated for four Academy Awards, hmm. which I think are also Oscars. But the Ew. difference... The, the, you know, the number is different and the end results are different. So, you know, might want to take some of those with a grain of salt. Yeah. Right. Well, I, I think we should probably sum up. I mean, unless you have like other favorite scenes you want to talk about. H- have you seen Die Hard? You, you, you remember that part when when the, there's all the broken glass? Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> She's dem venster. Shoot the glass. Yeah. I yeah. thought that was kind of funny, actually. He said it in German then says it in English. Yeah. I'm like, wait, isn't German like the... Well, he said it incorrectly in German, too, apparently. Yeah, so, some of the German <laughs> is pretty wonky. Yeah. yeah. Maybe that's why the guy didn't understand him. Yeah. My 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 high school German tells me in a few places... like I'm, He started off saying something that sounded like a sentence and didn't end it like it was a sentence. Right. <laughs> so let's talk about this, though, as an adaptation, right? I, To me, I feel like this is the same situation we had with Jurassic Park, where mm-hmm. it's a pretty faithful adaptation, and the changes that they made really worked and and for me like i i can't think of a change that they made that they shouldn't have made and i know i know that's anathema colin <laughs> yeah you know I, having like liking die hard so much and then looking at the book and going yeah you know they changed several things mm-hmm. not a lot not everything not a lot but right. the the flow of the plot is about the same even though the reason for them being there is completely different mm-hmm. and the characters are quite different you have yeah. you know little right. tony I don't know why little Tony is German instead of Italian. Um, so he can be part of a German terrorist group, I guess. Yeah. You know, who is a known killer who likes to shoot people and give them the the black boot in the black, Yeah, black boot in Yeah. yeah. Um, Which is very different than blowing their brains out all over the uh, glass wall of the conference <laughs> right. room. Yeah, Hans for some Schubert, reason, the, the bullet doesn't shatter beef. the glass. Right. It's, it's dramatic, James. <laughs> well, it had to travel through his head first. <laughs> yes. Dramatic brain splatter. So... One one possible rebuttal, Colin, from you would would be that okay, they made these changes, and those changes made a terrific movie. They did. That doesn't mean that it couldn't have been a terrific movie if they had not made those changes. But some of the things I think are just kind of things that will make a movie more pal- palatable than a book. I'm I'm willing to tolerate a darker book than I am a movie a lot of times, and and certainly to a mass audience, you know, um, mm. some of the changes that they made made the ending a lot more palatable. I'll say sure. And yeah, like I said, I can't argue. I, I'd never heard of the book. I think everybody knows about the movie. Yeah. Right. The movie The movie is canon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> it's just more popular. I had you. You, you got them on, on book, on record. Rats. Yeah. Rats. <laughs> but yeah, Die Hard is on AFI top film list. Hans Gruber is one of the best film villains. The The quotes for the movie are on top 100 list. I mean, it's just yeah. it's hugely popular and really well done. Yeah. Why don't we sum up on the movie and then and then talk a little bit about the sequels? Okay. What do you think, Colin? Recommend the movie? Oh yes. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, you fool, you fool, you should. Right. Now, do you watch the movie every Christmas? <laughs> no. <laughs> so you're like me, hadn't watched it in a while. Yeah, you know, when we used to have cable TV, uh, if I would catch it, I would watch it. Yeah. I would prefer to watch it over other stuff. 
I'm with you on that. If the, the, it is one of those ones, kind of like the Hunt for Red October, which is another McTiernan movie mm-hmm. that, like, that if I flip past it, or the Shawshank Redemption, you know, like I flip past it. Whoop! I guess I know what I'm doing for the next two hours. Mm. I watch Die Hard one and two every Christmas. Oh, nice. <laughs> I I used to have a box set of Die Hard one and two when there were only the two wow, on nice. VHS. I'll have you know. I have the box set of all three on VHS. Nice. Well, maybe let's let's move into talking <laughs> about the sequels. Um, it's interesting because. Like like Colin mentioned, ninety two percent fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, but there's a steep drop off with Die Hard two, and I really like Die Hard two. Die Hard two is also based on a book. Yes, a different book. Yeah, uh, from a different author. Right. <laughs> what? So, next yeah. Christmas. <laughs> Die Hard two is different. Adapted a different book, different author, all that, and then like not the same, you know, series or anything. Yeah, <laughs> crazy. Yeah, I, I found Die Hard two to be less believable than Die Hard one. I could see that. Yeah, 69% on Die Hard 2. Wow. Well, I think I prefer Die Hard, though, either way. Yeah, I think I'd agree. Yeah. I I was not a huge fan of Die Hard 3. Even though it had Mace Windu in it? I mean, yeah, the... You know, Samuel L. Jackson does make things awesome, and, and, and he was <laughs> he was good in it. Um, I didn't really care for Jeremy Irons as Hans Gruber's brother. Mm. I thought, oh, he couldn't have come up with a better bad guy than than the brother of somebody else. I actually really like Die Hard 4, and it's PG-13, and so, so, like, on paper, if you ask me, hey, they're going to make a PG-13 Die Hard movie, what do you think? I'd go, oh, that's going to be terrible. Um, but I really liked, I, Timothy Oliphant was the, the bad guy, mm-hmm. and he was terrific. So, 5, I picked up from the library, and, <laughs> and it has, what's the actor's name? Mr. Forgettable, who was in Terminator Genesis. And I Frankenstein, and he's been in any number of things, and I can really? I can never remember him in them. Ah. Um, though I did like him in uh, what was that movie? I can't even remember the movie now. John, John uh, Jack Reacher. Uh, he was one of the bad guys, but he had few few lines, and so it made him a little more interesting. Hmm. When he when he speaks, he's less interesting. Um, Jai Courtney, that's the name. Oh, okay. Yeah, and he plays his son, and. Man, I I started watching that movie. I uh, wasn't even really, really... He, him play. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and yeah. it's set it's set in Russia and like the um, Yippee Mother Russia. <laughs> Yippee Mother Russia was the yeah the, the tagline. And I started watching that one, and it was like a movie that I I put it I put in that movie while I was working in the kitchen. I was cooking dinner one night, and I got like thirty minutes into it and went. I am not finishing this movie. This is terrible. So, and I don't usually quit a movie. So, yeah. especially when I'm just sort of half paying attention. Right. But you should have had it playing at one and a half speed, dude. Yeah, probably. Then, then I would have gotten 40 minutes into it and then turned it off. <laughs> Die Hard is a great movie. We, we don't need further sequels. I guess that's what I would say. Right. There's talk about making a prequel movie. No. Oh, seriously? No. What? Yes. A young Prequels John McClane in New York. Ugh. Okay, but they they got to keep the stakes pretty low though, yeah. because because the whole point of the movie is this guy who you wouldn't expect to do what he did did it, right? Yeah. Well, they wouldn't have to make the stakes. They would have to make the stakes not about him, right? Or right. Yeah. More so, not about his survival. Maybe somebody else's survival or or him. You know, like solving someone's solvable case or something or saving somebody. Yeah, but then you don't need John McClane for that. Make it. I, I, I'm going to side with Colin on this one. No, 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 no. no. Where is what you do? You hire J.J. Abrams. <laughs> he says everything after Die Hard 2 was uh, is a in a different dream. universe. 
<laughs> in a different universe. Then you might actually agree with him. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah, I would side with Colin on that one. Right. Well, I'm sure it would, I'm sure it would be a well-produced and well 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 shot movie, but um, right. Then they do a bunch of references to the Wrath of Khan and it'd be uh, <laughs> All right, how about we rank them and sign off? Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to go with the obvious uh movie and book. Yes. Ditto. We we are unanimous yeah. once again. Cuz the movie is canon in this case, so. No, yeah. no, because the movie is that much better than the book <laughs> and it it almost saddens me. <laughs> I mean, so we've kudos, ruined Christmas for Colin. Kudos to the screenwriter for taking that and creating such such an awesome thing out of it. Yeah, yeah. Meh. Good movie. You guys watching any other Christmas movies this time of year? Die Hard two, Star Wars, <laughs> Star Wars, Star I, I've Wars. Seen, I've seen Star Wars twice already. How was yeah. it in three D? It it was cool. There was this one. There was one scene where there was a star destroyer that was sort of point end toward the screen, and it was totally right. sticking out like eight rows. Oh, nice! <laughs> <Rad>. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good stuff. We 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 forced our son to watch "It's a Wonderful Life," so oh. it's his new worst movie of all time. <laughs> what? No, that's a good movie. Okay. Yeah, he, he is an obstinate heretic. So um, he hates White Christmas to... too. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, anything old he doesn't he doesn't like. So uh do we bless? We talk about what's coming up next. Do we know what's coming up next? We don't know what's coming up next. We we, we have this will be our third episode released in December. So we are not going to be coming back to 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 this for a few weeks at least. So I would not expect to see another episode from right. us until late January. We do have a couple irons in the fire. We have things that we intend to do like I want to do Colossus. Um Ooh. we have been talking about Hooking up with the uh, yeah. book versus movie Margos and talking about the Hunger Games. Oh, I just read that By the way, series. Oh, you did? Yeah. Nice. I had a free I weekend. Should, I should commend to people, <laughs> though, um, I will repost our A Christmas Carol episode because, you know, it's good and traditional. Double the Marley, double the fun. Right. And I would commend to people, uh, book versus movie just covered A Christmas Story. Oh. Oh, nice. I, I like to think on my recommendation, but I doubt it actually was <laughs> despite my aggressive twitter campaign i do like the title of that novel oh uh and god we trust all others pay cash yeah <laughs> that's actually the title of the collection of short stories some of which were were then adapted into a christmas story and then you can get oh okay like recently in the kindle store or in the nook store um a christmas story has been available as a kind of a one volume that has all the short stories that comprise uh -huh. the film. Oh, okay. Even though like, for instance, the, the final bit with the bumpus hounds and the Turkey, right. That, that story is actually set at Easter time in the oh. short story. <laughs> nice. So, so it's another good one where, where it's an example of a really great way to integrate multiple stories into one coherent storyline. It's, it's a terrific adaptation. It does. Now that you mentioned it, it does seem like it's done that way. Um, mm -hmm. But very, but done very well, obviously. Yeah. 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 yeah that's, that's, that's one we'll, I'm sure we'll watch it. And I'd yeah. kind of like to read it. I've I've really had a roadblock with reading. I, I can't seem to read anything at the moment. Other than uh, other than DC graphic novels. No, not even that, man. I, Where's I, I the bought, pictures? I bought a whole bunch of them. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, we had to sign off. Yes. Well, first of all, I guess I would say Merry Christmas to our listeners. Indeed. Because I will I will attempt to get this one out on Christmas. Merry and Christmas. Until next year, I'm sure 2016. Sometime right. in January, we will sign off with a diehardy Christmas blessing. May the road rise up to meet you, and may you always have your shoes on. Well done. Because that way, if they shoot the glass, you're okay. 
Right. James doesn't get the joke. No, I got you. I got you. And may, and may your elevator shaft rise to the occasion. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, my. All right. I think we're good to sign off, yeah? Yeah. Yep. I think so. Come out to the coast. We'll get together. Have a few laughs. People whose clothes you might be wearing right now. Precisely. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was an old saying of my dad's. Oh, nice. You know, there would be three kids... And he would say, one of you kids is in trouble, and I know which one it is. And then the finger would get pointed. And then there'd be something like, you know, you know, it, it's you, and I know it's you because you're wearing the, the, the underpants of the guilty person. <laughs> <laughs> guilty underpants. There we have our show title. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Because sometimes on Christmas Eve, you're stuck at a Christmas party and terrorists attack, and you're not even wearing shoes. <laughs> That didn't yes. go well. I won't keep that. <laughs> no, that's blooper real fodder right yeah, there, yeah, buddy. Yeah. <laughs>